Open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. Those of you that know your Bibles know that Jeremiah chapter 23 is a condemnation of preachers. False shepherds that were stealing God's words from his people. And he sent Jeremiah the prophet to preach against them. The first verse of Jeremiah 23 begins, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. You can see the exclamation point. It's not that I enjoy yelling. It's an exclamation point. It's God's Word. But I want to take you to verses 28 and 29. There are so many preachers today saying they've had a dream. We don't care about your dream. We care about the Word of God. Jeremiah 23, 28. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? saith the Lord. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one, from his neighbor. It is my job to preach to you the words of the living God. I have no dreams for you, but I do have his words. And I trust that I'll be faithful in preaching them to you. Turn in your Bibles now to Matthew 22. And let me show you a preacher that was faithful with the words of God. And his words were like a hammer and a fire. And they broke in pieces the rocks. Matthew chapter 22. Denomination after denomination came against the Lord Jesus Christ. In waves of assaults. Pharisees. Then Sadducees. Then Pharisees again. And here's what we read in the last verse of this chapter. Matthew 22:46, And no man was able to answer him a word. Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Amen. These were the best of his generation. These were the seminary-trained THDs and masters of divinity. They could not hold a candle to the Lord Jesus Christ because he had the words of the living God. He could say, have ye never read what the Lord said to Moses? I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore, those precious words with the present tense verb, I am the God of Abraham, proves that in Moses' day, Abraham was still alive. Yes, your scriptures teach the resurrection. You Sadducees are fools for denying it. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Come back to Matthew chapter 7. When we say the greatest preaching service in the Bible is in Nehemiah chapter 8, we are not saying the greatest sermon is in the Bible. Because there's no sermon that we read of in Nehemiah 8. We're just speaking of the preaching service itself. If you want the greatest sermon ever preached, 
well, you can vote for whatever you like. Acts 7, Acts 13 are both pretty good. But Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he finished it, there's not a dream in it. There's not a dream. All he's doing is taking the Word of God and applying it. And he's saying that if you break even a jot or a tittle or the least commandment of our Father's commandments, you are least in the kingdom of heaven. And he gets to the end of his thundering sermon. And we read in the last two verses of Matthew 7 and verse 28. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were those that studied the Bible and preached to the land of Israel. They were the preachers of his generation. But Jesus was entirely different from those preachers. When he preached, the people were astonished. They weren't comforted. They weren't entertained in this particular aspect. They weren't stroked. They were astonished because they had never heard a man thunder with the wisdom of God tearing apart the religious institutions and doctrines of their day. Praise the Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the greatest of them all. Turn in your Bibles now to 2 Timothy chapter 4 that our brother just read to us. 2 Timothy 4. Thank you, Brother Leon, for not being offended that the passage has been referred to this morning. The Apostle Peter said, as long as I'm alive and in this tabernacle of this body, I'm going to stir your minds up by by the pure way of remembrance. Because we must teach by repetition. And it's by repetition our children will learn these passages, never to forget them. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, who was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, he made an appeal to the Lord Jesus Christ that I just read about from Matthew 7 and Matthew 22. Listen to these sober words that our young brother Chris just read to us. Verse 1, I charge thee, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. I charge thee. This is an oath. The Apostle Paul, in a personal letter to his ministerial understudy, Timothy, put him under oath to the God of heaven and to the Lord Jesus Christ in light of coming judgment when Timothy would have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gave him his three-word job description. And what is the three-word job description of a man of God? Preach the Word. I don't have dreams for you. I don't have feelings for you. I don't have visions for you. Why would you want to waste your time on such drivel and twaddle? If you wonder what those words mean, go look them up. It'll be a lesson for you. It's profane and vain babblings. That's what it is. Come to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I charge thee. Those are some of the most sober words in the Bible. And for every minister, I wish that they were hammered upon every man that's ordained. Because that's his job description. And it is so sober. Because that little passage and that oath is in the middle of a description of the perilous times of the last days. That's the cure for the perilous times. Put men in pulpits that'll preach the word. 
What word? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That word, the inspired words of God, right there in context in Second Timothy. Now here's Paul's job as he laid it out for ministers in Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, Paul was still a man, still in a physical body, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We do not use the organ to stroke your feelings. We do not use a band to move you. We do not do anything after the flesh. He's talking about his ministry. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, like musical instruments, music, or other things that affect the body. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This is the ministry of God-sent ministers. They thunder from their pulpits with fire and hammers and break in pieces the rocks that oppose them. And what are those rocks that are so stubborn and need to be broken and opposed and crushed by the Word of God? The thoughts and imaginations of your heart that rise up against the God of heaven. That's what verse 5 is talking about when it says, We cast down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And it is my job to preach the word and bring every one of your thoughts into obedience to Jesus Christ. It is a warfare when we get together. It is not to stroke one another. It is warfare. I must, by the word of God, Not by persuasive appeal, not by my thoughts or opinions, but by the Word of God, bring all of our thoughts together into obedience to Jesus Christ. That's what preaching is, and it's all based in the Bible. So we have that three-word job description, preach the Word. We have that warning. If a man's got a dream, let him tell a dream. He's a dreamer and a fool, and he's not worth a thing to the kingdom of God. But the man that has my words, let him preach them faithfully. And they need to be preached faithfully. There are many that corrupt the word of God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 17. We've got a few minutes. I want to remind you that this Bible has the answers to every question that mankind faces. And it has the solution to every problem in your life. If you've lost your joy or your hope, get back into the Bible. Go home and read it. Get down on your knees and ask God to show you something special from His Word. That prayer is in the Bible. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Oh, I just forgot it. Can someone help me? Open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And the Word of God can fill you and energize you with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Because these are the words of the living God, communicated to us by the Holy Spirit on paper by 40 secretaries. And thank you, Lord, for every one of them, but we thank Thee most of all. Amen. 
This has all the answers to your life. Are you politically correct? Or are you scripturally correct? Are you socially correct? Or are you scripturally correct? Someone says, well, I want to be balanced. I want to be all three. You can't be balanced that way. If you're scripturally correct, you're not going to be politically correct or socially correct. Because you're going to have to stand against the politics and the society in which we live. Oh, I love the Bible. Where did we come from? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God made everything out of nothing by His powerful Word. So whenever you read about evolution, you can laugh with holy laughter against those enemies of truth. That is science falsely so-called because it is not knowledge. It is a religion. It is a religion of I hate God and His Word, and in order to get rid of Him, I'm going to believe that we are a natural phenomenon on earth that evolved itself into existence. It's a religion. They require much more faith than we we need. It's obvious that there's an intelligent designer, and I'm not going to leave his name at that. His name is the Lord Jehovah. And we believe him. Oh, I love the Bible. What question do you think you can answer that you can ask that God has not already answered? We just need to take the time to read the Bible. Is capital punishment an issue that's up for debate? Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And because sentence against evil is not executed speedily, the hearts of men are set in them to do wickedness. This seven-year average that we have between sentencing and execution is ridiculous. It ought to be something less than seven minutes. Let the judge strangle him with his own hands. Say, so you're so crass. Oh, isn't it precious? Amen. I love the Word of God. Amen. You know, you say strangle with your own hands is a nicer way of going down than the way God planned. Do you know how God wanted to send murderers into that exploratory trip to find out if there's life after death? By stoning. By stoning. Most of your bones would be broken and you'd be bleeding internally before you got to expire. Oh, you'd be begging for one to hit you in the head. But your natural instincts would throw your arms over your head and your body into a fetal position to avoid the stones. What a way to go. That would be great violence for television. That's what our young people need to watch. Oh, to interrupt an MTV broadcast with a, with a teenager getting stoned to death. For what crime? Killing the president? No, for talking back to his mother. You're sick. Oh, it's sweet. Thank you. Thank you. After the way they call heresy, so worship I the God of our fathers. And I know you all believe the same thing. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. Deuteronomy chapter 14. We can jump all over the Bible. It's just a good, it's just a good review to remind us that the Bible has the answer for everything. 
Deuteronomy 14, some of you know where I'm going. There was, there was a constitutional amendment in this country because men got up in pulpits with dreams. They got up in pulpits with baseball bats, gloves, and balls. And that's how they drew their crowds. It was called Billy Sunday and the Temperance Movement. The movement didn't even understand the word by which they called themselves. Right. Temperance doesn't mean abstinence. Temperance means disciplined use. The temperance movement. They passed a law in our country that if you were transporting, engaged in the manufacture or sale of any beverage that had over one half of 1% alcohol content, you were guilty of a crime. That's why it's called a proof. Proof is one half of 1% alcohol content. They passed that in this nation because of a bunch of men that claim to be preachers of the Bible. He was a storyteller. Right. A Presbyterian baseball playing storyteller. I don't care what you've been told about him. Go read his sermons. Right. And go read the, read the main thrust of his ministry was contrary to the word of God. Because when I open the Word of God, here's what the blessed God of heaven, the God that Ezra and Nehemiah celebrated in that great preaching service in Nehemiah chapter 8, here's what he said Israel ought to do once a year with 10% of their gross income. Deuteronomy 14:26. And thou shalt bestow that money. Go back and you can read the context. I don't have time. 10% of your gross income. Thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after, for oxen, or for sheep, or for wine, or for strong drink, or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God, and thou shalt rejoice, thou and thine household. That's the word of the Lord. That's what the Bible says versus what Billy Sunday said. And the temperance movement said, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. But Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. Jesus was called a wine-bibber by his enemies because Jesus drank wine regularly like everyone else in Israel. John the Baptist was the exception because he drank water and ate locusts and wild honey. This is the word of the Lord. Here we stand upon God's word. We don't care what the world says, and we don't care what preachers say that don't preach God's word, but preach the imaginations of their own hearts. Right. He did not do social good in our country. Social good is not accomplished by taking something away that goes in this hole. Jesus said anything that can go in this hole cannot defile a man. Right, it's what comes out of this thing that defiles a man. Drunkenness is not caused by something in a bottle. Drunkenness is caused by something in my heart that throws all caution to the wind and refuses to submit to the God of heaven and drinks to excess. Right. And thus saith the Lord on that subject. Amen. All of that is from the Bible. Nothing that you can pour down your throat can defile a man. No gun has ever killed anyone. It's the foolish, ignorant, or malicious use of guns that kills. And so it is with alcohol. Wine has never made anyone drunk. It's the foolish or excessive use of that thing. And so we look at the Bible, and we come down through it, and we have answers for all our questions. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5. They say that we're Neanderthals. What is a Neanderthal? It's their imagined, it's an imagined stage in the progress of their species. <laughs> but if they mean that we are old-fashioned, we accept the charge. Amen. Jeremiah 6.16 says, and it's a commandment by the God of heaven, stand in the way and seek the old paths. Right. Thank you. Thank you for calling us old-fashioned. We take that as a compliment to be old-fashioned. They say, that is Paul's hatred of women that caused him to teach women to be in submission to their husbands. That's because Paul was a woman hater. Didn't you know that? Oh, yes. That is commonly taught today, that Paul was a woman hater, and that's why he made the statements that he did about a woman being in submission to her husband. Paul, was a, Paul didn't write the words. God wrote the words. Amen. And God isn't a woman hater. God is the greatest lover of women the universe has ever had, and he has provided for her ultimate happiness if she humbles herself to the word of God. To the degree she steps outside the Bible and tries to find her own happiness or protection, she fails and then gets abused. The Bible is her protection. If she only married men that feared the Lord, she'd be protected. Right. Ephesians chapter 5, it's easy enough to read it. Verse 22. Wives, well, I guess we're going to get something from the Lord about wives. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It's something you do to be a Christian. A woman that doesn't submit to her husband, she can't be a Christian. Because this is what you have to do for a woman to be a good Christian and obey the Lord. And she is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord. And he goes on to explain that just like the husband is the head of the wife... So Christ is the head of the church. And in verse 24, as the church is subject, that means obeys Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. They can call it old-fashioned. The Bible says that these are the old paths. This is preaching the word. They will no longer endure sound doctrine. Listen, you can't preach that today in most churches. The women just get up and walk out. Do you think Joel Osteen could drop this bomb on the congregation in Houston today? He'd have 15,000 get up and walk out. He'd be right down to a church about our size. All it would take is a good sermon on women submitting to their husbands. But that's what the Bible says. You know the other verses. I don't need to turn you to them. The Bible says it plainly enough. It says to honor your father and your mother. What does that mean? I put up with them. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and see how far it goes. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Oh, I think we can find something that will break every one of us rocks in pieces. Do you get impatient with your mother, especially as she gets older? verse in the Bible for that? Despise not thy mother when she is old. I wonder why Solomon wrote that. I wonder if he got testy a few times with Bathsheba 
And the Lord had inspired those words from his pen. Our mothers are going to get weaker and weaker in body and mind. But the Lord's already put up protection for them. I love the word of God. And every woman in here should love the word of God. Because her protection is not in her. It's not anywhere else. But it's in the word of God. And if her sons are taught the word of God, they're going to know that there's that haunting verse. Despise not thy mother when she is old. You've never been to a real preaching service because not enough of you say amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, the priests would holler out from one mountainside and all the people would stand on the other side and they would say, Amen. And here's what the preaching service sounded like and this is how it got rolling. All you young people, this is how it got rolling. Verse 16, verse 15. Let's get verse 14 so that you can see how the preaching service progressed. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed be the man that maketh any graven or molten image, an abomination unto the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and putteth it in a secret place. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Amen. Verse 16. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. And it goes on down to describe bestiality and other gross perversions and terrible sins right along with speaking lightly about your parents. Right. Don't anyone in here even think about calling your mother the old lady or your father the old man. Speak respectfully to them. Speak respectfully about them and think respectfully about them. This is the word of the Lord. I'm hitting some of you rocks and I'm trying to break you into pieces. Humble yourself before God's word. If your parents say, what are you thinking? Tell them what you're thinking. Even if you have a vacuous brain, And you have nothing there. Make something up. Say, I don't usually think. I'm not smart enough. But because you're asking me, I'll tell you something that I've thought in the last day or two. (laughs) Instead of saying, I don't know. I don't know. That's disrespectful. If you were in the military, or if you were on a job where you had a real boss, and he asked you what you were doing or what you were thinking and you didn't say anything to him, you'd be pumping gas. Well, they don't do that anymore, so you'd be unemployed. It's not me. It's God's Word, and it's wonderful. And you know what? All you young people sitting in the pew getting uncomfortable because I'm preaching like this, as soon as your parents, you're going to be cheering. Because you're going to want all your children to hear that and to go home and respond to you the way that the Bible says they ought to. But you know what? If you want your children to respond to you that way, you better get started now doing it to your parents. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Right. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. I'm not done with that one yet. 
you know I have a favorite text on children honoring their parents. Proverbs chapter 30. I've got another take for cutting in on MTV. This is a step up from the last one. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother. The ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. That verse right there condemns facial reactions to your parents telling you to do something or telling you you can't do something. This is the word of the Lord. This is what I'm preaching about. Bring everything back to the Bible. Parents, enforce a standard of obedience in your families that matches up with the Word of God. Children, give your parents what God's telling you to give them. Even the facial expressions of tossing the eyes, rolling your eyes, tossing your head, sighing, slamming a door, that is all unacceptable. This is what God says about it. Can you visualize it? Can you visualize a teenager with ravens picking the eyeballs out of that creature? Out of that person? This is the word of the Lord. It ought to sober us and make us think of how we speak to our parents. You know I have a few illustrations of the Bible. We've just looked at a few. The Bible addresses every area of our lives, every area of our lives in here. We have a ministerial friend in faraway places who is making changes today, and they're already over, of adopting a New Testament Lord's Supper by the things that are served in that supper. And he had never bought some of those things. So yesterday in the middle of the night for him, He was trading emails with me of where he was supposed to go to buy those kind of things that he had never used before. And I rejoiced. I I rejoiced that there's a church getting rid of grape juice and crackers and wanting to use wine and unleavened bread on the other side of the earth because he wants to follow the Bible. Praise the God of heaven. Small thing. Somebody will say that's so small. Does it really matter? That's a Bible scorner. That's a Bible skeptic that says it's such a small matter, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter, they should go and have a little interview with Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus chapter 10. They offered strange fire to the Lord, and God sent fire down from heaven and burned them up. They ought to talk to David who moved the Ark of the Covenant contrary to the way it was supposed to be moved, and God killed a man. They ought to talk to King Uzzah who walked in and thought that he could offer incense before the Lord instead of the priests, and leprosy rose right up in his face while he defied the priests. God does care about details. God told David, I killed a man and stopped your parade, even though you were worshiping me, because you did not follow me according to the due order. Those are the words in 1 Chronicles 15, 13, the due order. It applies to even the small things of life. You know, what is the basis for your happiness? If you're not happy, the problem is not with God and the problem is not your circumstances. The problem is you not reading God's word. Look at Psalm 4, please. Psalm 4. When I'm not happy, it doesn't matter if it's you or me. If I'm not happy, 
I have departed from the Word of God somewhere in my life. I'm neglecting Scripture. Scripture feeds the soul. It builds faith. It'll put joy and peace and hope into your life. You watch someone dragging around, you can know their spiritual condition. They don't have one. They need to go get it back. Every single one of us have to do it. Every, most of you know that we have to do it on a daily basis. Is to go back to God's Word and revive our souls. Look at Psalm 4. I love these words. Verses 6 through 8. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Is that a depressed person? Who will show us any good? Nothing good's ever going to happen. Nothing good ever happens to me. There be many that say, you know what that tells us? America's typical, isn't it, of previous nations. There are many that get discouraged. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Here's David's answer. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. There's true safety, brother. Right there. There's true safety. But notice, it's the wicked that says, who's going to show us any good? They're the ones that count on corn and wine increasing. And if they ever have a graph, and sometimes that graph's up here, sometimes the graph is here, and sometimes the graph is hidden in their desk drawer, where they get into Excel and they chart their income for the last 10 years. And whenever there is a dip in that upward slope of that increase in income, they lose their joy. David said, the Lord's countenance gives me more joy than in the time when their corn and their wine increases. As excited as they get when they have their graph continuing up, I get that from the Lord. Brethren, if you have lost your joy, it's because you have left the Bible. Get back into it this afternoon. You say, I don't know where to start reading. Write me. Just about anywhere will work. Start in the Psalms. Start in Psalm 119. Go back and read about the life of David. Read the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go try Matthew 22 on and see the champion that is your king and the priest of your profession. The Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not happy, it's your fault. Don't blame the Lord. Look at Psalm 63. Psalm 63. It it, it covers everything in our lives. It tells husbands and wives how to get along. Parents and children. How we ought to have the Lord's Supper. Where our happiness went. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Stop thinking about your career. Stop thinking about your family. Stop thinking about being overweight. 
Stop thinking about all that stuff. Start thinking about the Lord and meditate upon Him in the night watches and He'll put joy in your heart and praise on your lips. It's your fault. The Bible's correcting us all right now. Let's humble ourselves before it. Oh, brethren, it answers everything. You want to know what love is? There's one sentence in the Bible. You can go read about it, and it's got 15 phrases in that one sentence. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It would result in ultimate happiness if you ever practiced it toward anyone. Oh, don't you love to read the newspaper? This mollusk evolved 100 billion years ago. If it was there when God created the heavens and the earth, you know it's only a few thousand years old. The human body was designed to live 120 years if you'll take our vitamins. God said in Psalm 90, you're going to live to be 73 years of age on average. Global warming trends are going to eliminate the seasons. Don't you smile when you see Drudge post one of those? Global warming is going to get rid of the seasons. God told Noah in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22, as long as the earth is still here, there's going to be springtime and harvest, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, hot and cold. There's going to be cold. We believe the word of God. We don't care what they say. Man was created to be a vegetarian. But God told Noah when he got off the ark, look around, buddy. We got food on hoof. Go for it. You don't have to eat plants anymore. Get something real. Get something substantial. Eat 100 pounds of salad and a one-pound steak. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for cattle. They can eat grass all day long. I'll just carve a chunk off, I'll just carve a chunk off the side. You know, you read the Bible, you can blow through all that garbage. Nowhere in the Bible. Can you imagine Abraham when he saw three men approaching his tent and he knew it was the Lord? Can you imagine him running out back and saying, Sarah, please pull some weeds and stick it in a bowl. The Lord's here. He grabbed a kid and told her, you fix some bread and get some milk and cheese out here to go along with this kid. And they had a real meal. And that's the way it is through the whole Bible. Can you imagine David sending the nation of Israel home with a boxed salad from McDonald's? To eat in celebration of moving the Ark of the Covenant? The Bible tells us what he sent home. What did he send home? A loaf of bread, a good piece of flesh, and a flagon of wine. Oh, that's a meal. Everyone knows that's a meal. You go to the best restaurants in the world, those are the basics, and the necessities and the ingredients and the foundation for a good meal to this day. Vegetarians. Listen, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's your choice. But you're certainly not going to make it a religious bondage on us. The murderer was acquitted due to insanity. If If a man's insane, that's two reasons you ought to kill him. What in the world are they talking about? If a man's insane, why would you keep him alive if he's a murderer? That's two reasons to get him out of society. He's already killed and he's going to kill again because he's beyond hope. But they saved them because they're insane. Listen, if your dog bit three children was foaming at the mouth because it was insane with rabies, does that mean you keep it alive or you shoot it? Right. 
It's a brute beast made to be taken and destroyed. And the Bible says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. We look at the word of God and we believe it. We read the newspaper and we laugh. And the Lord's laughing. The Lord shall have them in derision. He mocks them all. And brethren, you know, sometimes we're laughing at them on the outside, but sometimes we tremble because the words of Scripture are condemning us on the inside. And Lord, let us hear those verses louder than the ones that condemn them. Jesus wants us to live in peace. That's what they tell us. I remember the last Jehovah's Witness pair that met me on my porch and said, Did you know that Jesus came to earth to give peace to all men? I said, When I read my Bible, it says, Here's what Jesus said. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That's what the Bible says. They don't have any idea of the Jesus of the Bible. They're preaching another Jesus because they have another spirit and they believe another gospel. Can you see through all the euphemisms of this world? When the Bible says that someone's having an affair, when when the world says that someone's having an affair, what does the Bible call it? Adultery. When the world says something about casual sex, what does the Bible call it? Whoremongering or fornication. When the Bible calls it the gay lifestyle, or when the world calls it the gay lifestyle, excuse me, what does the Bible call it? Sodomy. And what does the Bible call a male sodomite? A dog. The world calls it alcoholism. The Bible calls it drunkenness, and you're a drunkard. It's not a sickness. It's a sin. The Bible condemns it. When the world says someone's ADD, we understand they mean a spoiled brat that needs a beating. I can solve any ADD problem. Give the child to me for three days. And I'm giving myself two extra ones. Listen, we can take animals and teach them not to cross sidewalks. We can teach animals not to do certain things. And you can do that with a child. That's an invention of our society that wants an excuse for their rebellious little brats. If there's 1% that have an organic problem, then so be it. That doesn't alter the rule whatsoever. The Lord has a cure. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. That's a whole lot better than a pill. It's a bitter pill, but it's better than a pill. It's a pleasant pill to a father that knows how to use it. Does it anger you when you read the hallucinations of men against the Word of God? It should. I hope that you can cut through their ignorant rantings and smoke to see that the real issue that at stake is all-out war against the God of heaven. They hate God and everything He has said. And we need to stand against them for Him and for everything He has said. You know, some of those things He has said apply to us in our personal lives. Today, the emphasis has been on one simple thing. Are you reading the Bible, loving the Bible, meditating upon the Bible, letting it be fitted in your lips? Are you taking the time to get some Bible in your soul every day? I fear that many would have to say, I need to do better. Well, then let's walk out of this place today saying, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get into God's Word more because that's what I preach this for. And whenever you have a discussion about any subject with anyone at any time where you are given some liberty... 
And I don't mean a professional discussion about what ingredients ought to make the next batch of Chris Carnell's chemical experiments down there at Custom Synthesis. I'm talking about any other discussion. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say to yourself when you're discouraged? What does the Bible say about this? When you're having a conflict with someone, a parent, a sibling, a child, what does the Bible say? Let's take everything back to the Bible. Don't tell me what you feel. Don't tell me your experiences. Don't tell me what you saw from mama. I don't care about your mama. I care about your father. And your father is God in heaven. He's written a book on how we can all be happy in this world if we will obey it. Right. Let's bring everything back to the Bible. Let's not wander around. Let's just say, we've got sin here, and let's deal with it the way the Bible says. Repent and turn from your wicked ways and begin living a different way. That will cure every problem you're ever going to encounter. Circumstances can't control your life. It's your heart that controls your life. If you let your heart get a hold of the Word of God, it doesn't matter what circumstances come or go. You can still rejoice. Our brother John read one of my favorite passages in the Bible last Sunday. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. In that 17th verse, he listed six signs of total economic and financial failure. But in the 17th, in the 18th and 19th verses, it says, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. If you're feeding yourself on the Word of God, you can rejoice no matter what comes your way. It will not discourage you. You will not be offended, as we read in Psalm 119 earlier this day. David had princes speaking against him. He didn't care. He had God's Word, and he was in awe of it. And when you're in awe of the Bible, and you know that you've got it as your personal possession, and it's your heritage, and the heritage of your family, no matter what anyone says against you or does against you, it won't move you. But I've got to ask you this morning, are you in awe of the Word of God? Do you pass over Sarah's use of the word Lord as a joke in calling her husband Lord? Do you pass over to some formal old English form of address or a Neanderthal anachronism? Or do you look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 and say that's the word of the Lord and that's the attitude I ought to have toward my husband? Do the words having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, simply give you emotional energy against Rick Warren and the Saddleback Community Church? Or do they make you think, do I submit myself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as much as I should? Do you glory in your pride and in your rage and lie against the truth? Or do you submit to the words of James in James chapter 3 that your bitter envying and strife that you have in your hearts is from the devil and leads to confusion in every evil work? Everyone wants to think their problems are uniquely different. They're not. The temptations that take us are common to man. That means everyone experiences them. As face answereth to face in water, so the heart of man to man. Right. We're all guilty of the same temptations, sins, and weaknesses. And the Bible's got the answer for them all. 
I beg you this day and exhort you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you will love the Word of God and that you will never let this church depart from it, nor your family depart from it, nor you depart from it, nor your children and their children's children all the days of their lives. Let's promote the Bible. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's share the Bible. Let's read the Bible. There's a daily reading page that comes out to you designed to help you read one chapter a day. You ought to be reading more. Let's fill ourselves with the Bible. Every question, let's take it back to the Bible. When the world comes up with a dilemma, let's address it by the Bible. It's a wonderful exercise that will teach your senses how to discern between good and evil, according to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It's not enough to have it. It's not enough to read it. It's not enough to comprehend it. We've got to do it. In Nehemiah chapter 8, I call that the greatest preaching service in the Bible because they had it read to them. They understood the reading, and then they did it. And they found in the reading that Israel had not been keeping the Feast of Tabernacles for 800 years since the days of Joshua. And they ran out and got themselves branches of a whole bunch of trees, and they they built themselves booths. And they sat in those booths according to the commandment of the living God that they had just had read to them. They heard, they understood, and they applied it. And they went home and did it. And they celebrated with great joy because the Lord had laid on them a new commandment that they hadn't been keeping. Instead of chafing at the word of God, they rejoiced at it. May that be our spirit towards Scripture. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and the Lord Jesus Christ that's revealed by it. Amen.